Hi, it's Katerina, and this is Ingenious. Ingenious is a podcast about courage and ingenuity and how it can get us out of some of the dark corners we've gotten ourselves into and help us flourish. My guest today is the writer, publisher, humanitarian, screenwriter, and painter, Dave Eggers. So we're in the McSweeney's office, which is books, 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 and there's more books, actually, probably down I'm at the office of McSweeney's, Dave's nonprofit that publishes books in McSweeney's Quarterly, stories by brilliant, quirky, risky, experimental writers. I loved the organization, and I joined the board. We are surrounded by some of Dave's paintings, which are all on the walls. I recognize that from... Maybe even the first year of McSweeney's um, that was on the cover, that painting of a bird with little planks for feet and a human arm. That plank-footed bird was one of the first covers of The Quarterly over 20 years ago. And that bird is a metaphor for why I'm here for a conversation with Dave about how a lot of people these days feel like they can't get anywhere, have planks for feet, have no wings and aren't free. They're in a world where they don't get to decide anything. It's a trap of bad jobs and social media and AI and screens, an onslaught of marketing and a sense of powerlessness. People want to be free to think their own thoughts and speak in their own voice, be free to look at the sky and not the screen. It was a sense of freedom that first drew me to San Francisco. During my first years here, I met amazing people, and among them was Dave, a creator of remarkable things. Since then, Dave's written more than a dozen books, some for kids, but most for adults. There's this one over here, which is called The Wild Things. His first book was a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. The Every, of course, he's written The Circle, The Eyes, and The Impossible. That's his latest one. It has a beautiful wooden cover. Incredible thing. His latest is written in the voice of a stray dog, living in total freedom and joy, a wild dog, Johannes, who lives in Golden Gate Park with an urge to run and run. I run like a rocket. I run like a laser. You have never seen speed like mine. That's Ethan Hawke as Johannes, the dog, reading from Dave's book during a live show at Symphony Space in New York City. When I run, I pull at the earth and make it turn. Have you seen me? You've not seen me. Not possible. You are mistaken. No one has seen me running, because when I run, human eyes are blind to me. I run like light. Have you seen the movement of light? Have you? Dave Eggers believes in freedom and human ingenuity, more than most humans. But other humans are trying to stifle it, banning books, for example, including one of Dave's. And when everyone seems to be talking about the wonders of AI and chat GPT, that can write our essays, write code, make art, and more. I need, and we all need, a dose of Dave. So have you ever even used ChatGPT? No. I've seen the results of it. That was my guess. And what did you think of- I don't know where to go to see it, actually. I'm not like online on much. Like I I go in and out for half an hour at a time to get my email and stuff. But if I need to do research, I will. But that one I've read, you know, the results and I've seen the studies about what they what it'll write in this with this prompt and that prompt. And I and then I've seen the horrible, uh, horrifying artwork and stuff that's just gives you nightmares for days. That's Dave. 
defending humanity's special right to make art. So I was okay with AI when it was learning to drive cars, maybe because I hate driving. And AI being used for spam filters? Be my guest. Astrophysics. Astrophysics seems like a good place to apply AI. AI? Drug discovery? Detecting cancer? 100%. Plowing through enormous amounts of data is what computers are good at. But then AI came to write our emails, love letters, poetry, code, novels. AI came to make art, invading creative spaces where human ingenuity is flourishing. And this is when I and a lot of other people, including Dave, started to feel uneasy. He's written novels about the tech-obsessed and our dystopian technological future. But in real life, Dave lives the opposite. He still uses a flip phone. His website says if you need to reach him, you need to write him a letter. And one of his most ingenious projects is 826 Valencia, a tutoring program for kids. They just marked their 20th anniversary, and now they have branches around the world. It began here, in the Mission District of San Francisco. It's full of cool, cool organizations in this, in this neighborhood, as you can see. We're right next door to City Art Cooperative Gallery. On the other side, it's Paxton Gate, which has taxidermy and um, fake unicorns. Oh, a bunch of kids are arriving <laughs> into the pirate store. They're learning reading, they're learning writing. So it fits right in that the tutoring center at 826 Valencia, next door, has a storefront that's an emporium for pirates. This was so Dave, where they sell, well, whatever a pirate needs. It was like we did the market research and we looked around and... Um, Peg legs were hard to find. I still have a glass eyeball that I bought here 20 years ago. This was a high-ticket item that was behind a case when you bought it. I paid a lot for that. Yeah. Not only a fake eyeball, but the book that an artisan made, a tiny little book, an inch by an inch and a half, about how to care for your fake eyeball. We always had real people making peg legs, real people making, you know, like hook, hooks for if you've had your a limb severed by a shark or alligator. The pirate supply store had to be for pirates, not about pirates. The idea started because the place Dave found to rent for tutoring at 826 Valencia was zoned for retail. So the landlord said, you got to sell something. And he said, why don't you sell books? It's on point, you know, or on message. And I was like, ah, it's too obvious. He said, okay, have it be a cafe. I don't want to get, do the food permit and all and that it, stuff. And it also had, there were just bookstores galore. Yeah, it was next in to this Modern neighborhood. Times. There was yeah. the Modern Times, Dog-Eared was still there, is still there. So we didn't need another bookstore. Forest Books, there was Borderlands, but all there of these were nobody selling Buccaneer supplies. So I would never right. permit any sticky plastic pirate paraphernalia or like tote bags or anything it was like <laughs> this is for the working pirates so here's where if you lost an eye you got your eye replacement eye you lost your limb we have that for you mm -hmm. puffy shirts you need of course nets. cannonballs nets it was a real operation we got a business license from the city of san francisco to sell pirate supplies and we opened it in in 2002 and it made money i can't say it's made like gobs of money, but there were some big years where we did pretty well and paid the rent. 
And then the other thing it did is just like it created a bridge. People could walk in and say, what's this? And hey, by the way, can would you like to volunteer? And hey, by the way, buy this book written by a, a student or a collection by written by our after school kids. Would you like to donate too, you know? And so nonprofits often are hidden away downtown on the 30th floor and they have no interaction with the real world. And I think that that's tragic because you're doing this interesting thing, but you're living an antiseptic life up there. And so this is a way to be on the street level. Kids have access. I remember it was so exciting when 826 Valencia got started and everyone wanted to volunteer there. It was fun. It was cool. It was doing good work. Kids were flourishing, and we all felt that these kids were the future of culture. So a lot of these kids are behind grade level, maybe, and they have to. And their parents or their teachers send them for enrichment or a couple hours of tutoring. They don't have to trudge their way into the place for the kids that aren't as smart as other kids, or the place for the kids that are learning English, or the place for kids with learning disability, or any of these stigmatizing things. We said it's a pirate store and it's a publishing company and you, the kid next to you might be working on a novel you just don't know so nobody knows who anybody is what they're there for um, and they're all mixing so it's been that way ever since and so then that was how all of the other centers around the world had the same model it's like at last count 72 and the newest one in Toowoomba Australia Toowoomba how it's many like a, are there now? There's 72, 72 centers. That's our count that are based on the model, and right. only only nine of which are run by eight two six. The rest of them are just kind of inspired by. And they're not pirate stores. Oh, never. There hasn't been another one. They all have their own kind of theme. Isn't there a superhero supply? That's in Brooklyn, and there's like a alien supply center in Stockholm. So like three like glasses with three lenses you know like if you were an alien and you've you have an extra crash eyeball. landed here mm. it has your space food it has whatever but same thing secret door you push a certain button and the wall moves and it turns from the the store to this tutoring center and they're serving mostly iraqi and syrian families that are living in the suburbs of stockholm because you know in europe mostly new arrivals are living in suburbs so imagine if you're a kid you're learning Swedish <laughs> and you spend your afternoons in the space travel or alien supply company in, in the mall. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's nice, right? Like if you feel like, all right, well, I, feel I have landed anyway. in Stockholm. Yeah. Yes. That's a really cool one. I've been there and uh, sometimes these places open, you know, we don't even know it until they've opened. And they're like, hey, by the way, and we look at their website and it's inspired by 826 and that was always the dream. So you don't want to have to oversee or control or anything, any of these places. They all have to be local. They have to be driven by local artists and teachers and parents. And as long as you can kind of roll with all of the permutations. Well, yeah. A little bit of roughness, but it's all for... Well, the beauty is you're not liable for whatever they do. You know, like let's say they do something weird... In Melbourne, you're like, we got nothing to say about Melbourne. We had no control over them <laughs> yeah. feeding the kids, you know, uh, 
candy every afternoon for six months. Like that's not on us. But <laughs> the main thing is like invariably it attracts the best people in any given town. So anywhere you go, it's a beautiful operation. Dave would probably be the first to point out that awards don't matter. But among Dave's many prizes, he's received the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award for Education for his work with 826 Valencia. You know, my mom and sister were teachers. A lot of my best friends were teachers. My friends out here teaching for the school system here were uh, kept saying that they could not give the one-on-one attention that they needed to give to all of the students, especially the ones falling behind. And um, they wanted to clone themselves, you know. We need more people, more humans in the classroom. And they would tell me about, anecdotally, about volunteers that they had in the schools. A neighbor, there was a school up in Potrero where they had an older neighbor who was retired. And he just came and sat in the class. And because he was a gray-haired elder, he created this calm in the class and could help kids that needed one-on-one. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Are you students of Heather's? Heather Woodward? Oh, yeah, I am. No. Tell her hi. What's your name? Dave. And then Eggers, like the... Eggers? Like egg, yeah. (laughs) 20 years later, Dave has become the gray-haired elder in the back of the class. What's up, Andre? What are we doing? Well, we've been working on a lot of writing. Um, So basically, we're all writing about profiles of chefs in our families. So it can be just family members who have cooked um, a really great recipe, um, primarily from their own culture. Dave and I are with a group of 826 teenagers who are working with their program leader, Andre. So this will be a book of stories and recipes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, When do you finish? Oh, wow. Some of these kids have been coming here since they were only six years old, barely able to pen a paragraph. Wow. And how many of you have been published before? How many times have you been published? I'd say like five times. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. I've been there since I was in first grade, so oh, wow. it's been a long journey. So you know how surreal that is, right? Like for those of us that have to wait until we're adults to be published, that's, uh, that's amazing. A lot has changed in the past year when AI came along. And teachers have been in a panic about their students using it to write assignments and passing off AI essays as their own. But Dave's not in a panic. He's more unimpressed or outraged and more certain than ever about the brilliance of the human mind. We have to remember, it can't read, it can't write, it can't create art. So there's no such thing as AI art. That's a non sequitur. There's no such thing as AI writing. It's not writing. It's pastiche. It's assemblage. It's assemblage if, like, you know, a, a wrecking ball knocked down our bookshelf and you arrange those words in some way, then that's as much of, as it's not creation. So I think that we have to forget all of those things from now and forever. It will never be able to read, write, draw, create. So what is it? You can't say AI art. You could say AI, if, you, if an artist uses it to help create something, then maybe it can be a tool. But I do think if a writer is to use a chat GPT in the way that some people are proposing it, and even Google has a tool where like, oh, what's, you know, it'll tell you what to write next if you're working on a book. Like there is some horrifying tool that does that. Yeah. Um, those people are no longer writers if you use that. If you use any of these tools like that, it's, it's beyond cheating. It's, 
it's a wretched bastardization of all that's good and and human and and real about us like if you if you decide to use those tools that's you've 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 crossed the rubicon mm-hmm. and you it's not art it's not creation it's not writing yeah it cannot be used in the act of creation as as a tool to answer a question yeah for search for queries for things like that but i think that a you know when someone writes yeah. You assume a couple things. You assume that there's a person with intention yeah. who lives with the consequences of the things that they have written mm. and are speaking from their own experience in their own voice. Those are the assumptions that you go into any of the conversations with the person. And people are projecting that onto those machines, which I yeah. think is where the danger lies, is that they think they have intention, but they don't. You know, And then obviously there's no consequences or responsibility, yeah. and there's no life experience that's informing anything that they say. Yeah, there's no discernment, there's no morality, there's no history. There's only source material, Yeah. right? That's all it is, really. Well, I think that we do have to teach everybody that the first thing that people forget is that these machines cannot read, but the engineers will say, of course they can't read. You know, they're scanning for keywords, they're doing whatever, but they can't read and they can't understand what they're reading, um, and they never will be able to. All of that requires consciousness, and there will not be consciousness. These are all just machines that are running programs. For so long, we've pretended and tried to get machines and to comparing the human brain to the machine brain and always comparing us to this machine. And it it always struck me as so such a, uh, a fool's errand. Why would we want to make that equation? Like when the cotton gin came out, were we like comparing ourselves and our experience (laughs) to the cotton gin and our brains are just like the cotton gin? It's another machine. It's not any real, it's not that much closer to the functioning of the human brain. So these things where we think we're so close, it's not remotely true to, you know, that human consciousness is achievable by a machine or that we think like a machine or all of these corollaries between brains and machines, none of these things carry any weight when they're examined closely. It's just like a very convenient metaphor. But I do think that so many of these things come from a really dark and very nihilistic place that doesn't love ourselves, you know? The person that invents the metaverse where you put on a pair of helmet and you disappear from the world and you see very crudely 1989 level graphics <laughs> of disembodied people without legs walking around and buying fake coffee from a fake cafe i mean it's coming it's the darkest view of human experience that you could possibly have it's the sickest mind this is that the you crazy possibly... thing about Facebook, right? Is that they they decided that that was what they were going to do. Yeah. That they went full on into metaverse. They renamed the company Meta instead of basically just bringing integrity and truth <laughs> yeah. and uh, all of those things into Facebook itself. Yeah. Which I mean, which they you... could have focused their energy on that, but that was not the it's direction they chose to go. Twist in a novel is that finally is that... the emperor is revealed to. Uh, anyway, he so, has no legs. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. The emperor has no legs. <laughs> yeah, 
Have you seen it? The, the, the legs yes. aren't depicted because yes. I guess those are too yes. difficult. Too difficult. For but the I legs. think that what's interesting is that that's oh the God. final straw because you don't find anyone under thirty that's ever used Facebook or ever would. That and was the and now this is like the, the last evidence of just losing touch with humanity. And I do think that these things tend to correct themselves. You know, I'm optimistic that this will be the death knell. So what is the opposite of the metaverse where things are fruitful and inspiring? Walk outside. You know, like I uh, just wrote a book sort of about Golden Gate Park and everything. That alone is evidence of all that's good in the natural world and what we make of it and, and how we can interact with it. We're so lucky. Like, what's so weird is that all of this happening here in, the, like, one of the most beautiful developed spots in the world where, like, the most radical level of beauty is available within five miles in any direction. The ocean, the sea, the hills, the mountains, the animals, the bay, sailing. I mean, everything that you could possibly want is right there. And yet people are putting on helmets to experience shitty 80s graphics. You know, like, it's beyond parody i couldn't i can never get ahead of it that's what's so frustrating about like the every and everything and the the circle i can never get ahead of the level of uh of absurdity that that these inventors will perpetuate without effort i have to sweat and think about what the stupidest thing anybody could think of is and these people wake up and they just outdo me and then luckily this is the first time with meta it's the first time that people haven't willingly adopted it en masse like that's the first time because every other iteration of these idiocies people have adopted it's true without yes. question and also, i think that ai is also similarly terrifying yeah for people in a healthy way yeah i'm glad that everyone's a little scared you know before leaving i asked dave to introduce me to a couple of his students to hear their take on how ai is affecting their writing and their schoolwork and um, and this is Katerina. She and I came up together as writers, illustrators, designers back in the 90s. And then she started a company called Flickr, like a f photo sharing company that you might have heard of. A big deal. But now uh, she's a advisor, a thinker, thought leader, investor, tech wizard, and also a tech skeptic. Right? Is that fair to say? That's fair. That's right. fair. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay, great. Hello, everybody. Some teens in the small group say AI has already made a big difference with their schoolwork, with tutoring for some of their most challenging classes, and they say that it can help jumpstart their writing when they have writer's block. Dave called me a tech skeptic, but I wasn't expecting to find another one among the students. Um, I'm Max. I'm 14. I've definitely, to be honest, I've, I've definitely used it before when preparing for a test or like a big assignment. I've, I, but I definitely feel like I've tried to stay away from it um, because I'm kind of scared that, like, you're not going to be able to think for yourself anymore, you know? Like, there's going to be, it's going to, you're not going to, people are not going to be doing their own thinking, you know? Where do the kids mostly come from? Are they all Bay Area? Some of them come from far away. Typically, yeah. You'll see these kids are mostly, uh, there's a lot of Mission High kids, a lot of Soda kids, School of the Arts. So depending on the class... When I was teaching, the kids would come as far from as far away as Sacramento, you know, and stay overnight at a relative's house and then go back because there was that hunger for higher level creative writing classes that they couldn't get where they were. 
and then they wanted to meet their people, their tribe here. So it was very sweet. There's a student named Sally Wen Mao that came from Sunnydale and would spend the night and then go back. And she, from the very first assignment I gave her, I was like, that is an outrageously gifted person. She was 15. And now she's won Fulbright, Guggenheim, there's professors, got her PhD. But they're not all here to become professional writers. A lot, the vast majority of them don't. But to give them a platform, give them a voice, make sure that they're powerful writers in a democratic society, you have to be able to explain yourself, explain your ideas, where you come from, what your family represents, what do you want from the society. And then also, you know, much of what we're doing like down here is these kids are getting ready to go to college and uh, having done this, they will have a lot more options. You know, the kids that come through and do leadership positions at 826 do some amazing, have some really pretty incredible college options. And um, there's a Mission High kid that we just wrote a follow-up rec because he's on the wait list at Harvard and uh, he'll get in. I don't think he's like the valedictorian necessarily, but he did a program. It was a program that worked with his high school and younger kids through 826, and he really enjoyed it so much as a high school tutor that he wrote a grant himself to expand the program so that it could continue on. You All you have to do is open the door, you know? The kids just, just give them a little bit of an opportunity, and they're going to, like, run with it. Take it, take it beyond. Yeah. Before I left, I met one of their longtime staffers, Justin Carter, who embodies a lot of the spirit of the place. Justin ran the Pirate Store and was the director of the 826 Valencia program here for seven years. Justin did the design for Dave's new book, The Eyes and the Impossible. When you buy a copy from McSweeney's, it has this gorgeous carved wooden cover and paper with gilded edges. Oh, it's great. I mean, yeah, it's always a, a space where everybody is always trying to, like, do something more beautiful or more special. Do you know what I mean? Like, all the time, if you come in and anybody has, like, an idea, it's not, like, what's most expedient or what's, you know what I mean? It's never that. It's, it's not a- the fast-selling thing. It's the most beautiful, interesting, curious, adventuresome, yeah. unusual thing. Yeah, like, could we could we possibly do that? You know, like, it's it's that. It's, like, always, like, but what if we, you know, that's ridiculous. Like, what if we tried that or something? You know, that's always the, always good to be in that energy. <laughs> so, I mean, that was how it was at 826 Valencia. It was, like, nobody's born a writer. Nobody's born a designer. And nobody's, you know, nobody's good at it. You just practice and you try and you take feedback. But, you know, we always had on the walls over there, there was like Stephen King's pages from his novel with all the corrections, all over tons of, you know, corrections, Stephen King, Joan Didion, corrections, crossouts, all this stuff, you know, and it was like, you think that person's a genius? It's just, they just kept, they didn't stop. Do you know what I mean? They just kept going. Dave has a knack for attracting the Justins of this world. I mean, we think we hired him for his look because he had a red beard at the time. And so we were like, well... <laughs> Whether or not he knows anything about running a store, we get the guy with the red beard. So, um, but you know, Justin has done everything at this point. He's a really good designer. He's been a publisher. We attract a lot of the old school 
San Francisco types that still have multiple jobs. They're running a weird uh, glass blowing workshop on one day, and then on the next day they're doing goat yoga, and then the next day they're temping at Clorox, and then the next day, <laughs> I'm just saying that I was a temp at Clorox for a while, so I'm trying to think of the stuff that I did in my 20s. But here we are at a place where we continually re-examine work, but I think it's a, a good thing. Ultimately, freedom I t- for me is always the very first and foremost beginning and end of any conversation is do you feel free? Right. Yeah. Thank you, Dave Eggers. You are always an inspiration. I want to close with a passage from Dave's new book, The Eyes in the Impossible. This is one that feels very much in the spirit of 826 Valencia. So this is the voice of Johannes, the wild dog who lives free in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. And in this scene, he's here with his friend, Helene, who is a goat, to try to convince a bunch of other goats to liberate the wise old bison that live in a fenced area in the park. He wants them to be finally free. But he needs to get the goat's attention. Just bark, Helene says. But Johannes has only ever barked a few times in his life. Yip, I said. Or I thought I said yip. But even Helene, who was standing next to me, didn't seem to hear it. The wind from the ocean was strong, so I thought my yip had gotten lost in the offshore breeze. I tried another yip, this one louder. This time, Helene took notice, but also smiled a pained sort of smile, as if to tell me my yip was more like a yip. I had to do much, much better. I decided to just go big and bark. So I sucked the wind from the ocean, and I ate the clouds from the sky, and I looked to the sun, and I gathered from her all the strength she had to give, and I roared the kind of bark that was also a howl, and also a bellow, and even a bit of a squall. I had my eyes closed as I unleashed it, and when it ended, I opened my eyes to find a thousand goat heads and two thousand goat eyes looking up at me, terrified. I had no idea what to say to them, but Helene did. In the morning, she whispered to me. In the morning, I roared. We will engage in a heroic act, Helene whispered. We will engage in a heroic act, I roared. A message from Helene and Johannes and Dave for us all. First, you get yourself free, and then you work for the freedom of others with your friends. Dave, it's an honor to be a small part of your big-hearted and freedom-making work. I'm Katerina Fake, and this is Ingenious. You can also find me on LinkedIn. We've created an ingenious newsletter on Substack with bonus content and reading around each episode. Both links are in our show bio and description of this episode. Until next time.